Amen. Well, my goodness, that could be our theme song for the year. We, if we semi knew the meaning of that song, we all really learned the meaning behind that song. To lean upon the Savior and tell him all your cares, for he is ever mindful how his children fares. And I am so thankful for that tonight, and I know you are as well. It's so good to be here and to be with you all. And um, you don't have to worry about me taking very long tonight. I don't think my voice is going to hold out very long. So that, that we praise God for small blessings. And, um, you know, the house of God is such a wonderful thing. And this, uh, this place here is so sacred. We, I think about all the, I have, I have been in such receiving mode this week hearing the word and hearing your testimonies and what God has done for you to help you overcome um, has just filled my heart, filled my cup, and I am so thankful for all of you. I I thought back over the course of this week and all of those who have uh, spoken and I thought of the different relationships that I have with each of you and God is so good. He has been so good to us. When we think of all that... Uh, Each of our histories that is represented when we come into the pulpit, each one of us has such a unique perspective and a history that we can trace God's finger through our history. It's not just through the word and it is all through the word, but our own individual life story. You can see the finger of God and how he has directed and led and guided each of us to the point that we're at today. Whether you are sanctified or no, God has led you to the point you are at today. And he has directed things in your life. The word bears this out, that he has directed things in our lives. There are no such thing as coincidences. There's no such thing as a happenstance. God is intimately involved the old, uh, in the old Great Awakening preachers used to call it prevenient grace, meaning that this was grace from God the Father that sees us a long ways off, even when we don't ser- are not serving him yet. And it is just, it's just God's hand over us, keeping us until we get our mind right, come to ourselves as the prodigal son did. The prodigal son could have died in all of his riotous living, couldn't he? All of the things that he was involved in, he could have lost his life. But God's hand was over that boy's life until he was in the depths of that hog pen and he came to himself and made a decision to go home to Father's house. I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life. And I'm thankful for it in yours as well. Well, I'm just so thankful for, for what God does for us. And I want to share just some thoughts with you this evening. Um... This is one chapter out of the book of Nehemiah, and I don't want to go into too much detail with a lot of this story, but I I urge you to go back and read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They're not very long. Um, The story of God's people returning to Jerusalem after a period of slavery and bondage and great burden. They were so upset, so despondent being in Babylon. It says that they couldn't even sing. They hung their harps in the trees. You go read about that in Psalms. They could not even sing the songs of Zion while they were in a strange land. And so when God allowed them to return, and it was a gradual process, 
when he allowed them to return, this story of them returning has a lot of similarities to what we're dealing with today. Because one question that has been asked over and over is, what are we going to do now? When all this is over, and it's not over, we're... We think it's over. Yeah, that's the thing about situations of life. We don't have God's perspective. We don't know what time frame we're in. We might be in the beginning. We don't know. That's why we have God. So one question that keeps coming up is, how are we going to get back to where we were? Or how are we going to move forward from here? Because I submit that if we're satisfied with where we were, I submit that we rather should be looking for how to improve and how to grow and how to push forward into a new day. I submit that for your consideration. So Ezra, the, the priest, goes in the, in the book of what we call Ezra, and they, they rebuild the altar. They rebuild the altar. And that is the most important thing you do when you are rebuilding a church, when you are rebuilding your life. <clears throat> You have to go back and rebuild the altar. As the brother did just here, he lost his joy and he recognized it. God showed it to him. And the first steps is to rebuild that altar in your heart of repentance, of dead works, and to point your face toward God. And that's what they did. They went back into that temple that had been torn down and was crumbling, and they went in and rebuilt the altar for the priest to go in and begin services again. Well, a few years later, and this was quite a few years later, Nehemiah, who was an engineer, Brother Will, came to Jerusalem with an urgent feeling in his heart to help the people rebuild. What had happened was they had gotten lazy, they had built the altar, and then they just kind of sat back and said, well, there we go. We're done. They got distracted with building their own houses and businesses back. Folks, we can get distracted now looking forward. We can let the enemy distract us with all the chaos that's around us and tell us that we need to focus on our 401k or focus on our kids education because they've lost so much schooling right now and focus on and focus on and focus on until we lose the mission and the possibilities that God has placed in front of us. He's given us an opportunity. This is an opportunity. How often does this come around to a group of people where we are suddenly all focused on the same thing, which is to build God's church together and to go out and to preach the gospel? This is an unprecedented opportunity for us to move forward as a people. And so I say to us all, I say to myself, Lord, help us not to be distracted by the things in our private lives, by the things that are going on around us, and help us to be focused on finishing the work. Finishing the work. My goodness, you've heard these testimonies. The brother just now, his sister earlier today just enthusiastic about making sure that we don't lose ground any more than we already have maybe. And I say, let's don't lose that fire and enthusiasm by getting distracted as things in the world return to the old normal. I don't like the old normal. 
I don't like the old normal. All that junk that was back there 10 years ago, it can stay there. I want this church of now where we are focused on serving God and being closer to God. This pandemic has helped us all, I submit, and I hope you're a part of us in this sentence, that it has helped us all to focus on what is really important. We've got everything else has been stripped away. And what else do we have left but the grace of God in our lives? So Nehemiah comes in and he realizes these people are not protected. They have no walls. They have no gates to the walls. They are left open for the pickings of the enemy. And he begins to set about doing this. And I want to read to you just a few. uh, I'm just picking out a few verses out of the third chapter of the book of Nehemiah, if you'd like to follow along. And there are spiritual applications for us in our personal spiritual lives and also for us as a church. And so just bear with me for a few minutes. Then Eliashib, whose name means the God of conversion. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. Now, there are 12 or more gates to the city of Jerusalem. We're only going to talk about 10 of them here tonight in the few minutes. And the first one is the sheep gate. They builded the sheep gate first. Notice that it is the priests that builded the sheep gate back. And they sanctified it and set the doors on it and the towers that were next to it. Now, these gates are physical gates. You can go to the city of Jerusalem today and they are, some of them are still there. You can go and see the old physical structures that are still left behind from the Romans, but they have spiritual application. The sheep gate is first because Jesus was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It all begins, Brother Patrick, with Jesus Christ. Everything that happens in the Old Testament can be traced back to Jesus Christ. And so when John the Baptist comes along in the first chapter of St. John, he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And if you go over into the 10th chapter of John, Jesus himself said, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep, or I am the gate of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So this is important because to build our lives back when we are in a state of sin, we must first contend with Jesus Christ. We must first reconcile our relationship with Jesus Christ before anything else can take place. Before anything else happens, we've got to make reconciliation with Jesus Christ. In the church, we also have to contend with Jesus Christ. We also have to make sure that as a collective people, that we are doing the will of Christ in our in our collective congregations and as a mother church. And so in order for us to do anything, we have to start with the cross. We must start with the cross. And so they did. They began with the sheep gate. They built it and they began to go to the next one. In the third verse, but the fish gate did the sons of Hesina build who also laid the beams and set up the doors and the locks and the bars. They covered all, all of those parts of it. So the fish gate, well, once you get sanctified, once you get forgiven of your sins, you must take care of that first. And once you receive the Spirit of God in your life, 
Jesus Christ went to the disciples and said, follow me for I will make you fishers of men. Now this was called the fish gate because all the fishermen would bring in their catch of the day through this one particular gate. And so Christ is calling for us as sanctified men and women to bring in souls that we have influence over, that when we speak a word in season, when we preach the word and are instant in season and out of season, you know what that means? It doesn't mean that there's an out of season to preach. It just means at all times when it's convenient to do it and when it's not convenient to do it. When you feel like preaching and when you really don't feel like preaching. God calls us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lieth within us. And to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So the fish gate is the second and very important gate because we are called to go out and to search the highways and byways and to compel them to come in so that there would be guests at the feast of of the king. And so what's interesting is that it says in the fifth verse that the nobles did not participate. They were not, it says that they put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Uh, So I would submit to leaders that it is important for leaders to be equally involved in the work. And I also submit that if people in your congregation feel led to go do something, if you aren't, if you can't be a part of it, to encourage that work, to support that work, and to put your, your influence behind that work because it is a collective effort. Well, in the sixth verse, it says, Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and they repaired all parts of it. So the old gate is next. And this is such an interesting thing because when we come to Christ, whatever generation we happen to be a part of, it seems to be a symptom of every generation to always think that their ideas are better than the old. That their traditions and rituals and practices are better than those who came before. No generation is exempt from this. 50 years ago, the young people back then were saying the same thing. And 100 years ago, they were saying the same thing. Every generation is a part of this. But I would submit to you that Jeremiah said, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. Praise the Lord. The old ways, they're there, and they're old because they work. They've lasted because they've been tested. And they've been tested over and over, as all things will be tested. And so when something isn't a practice anymore, or a tradition, or a... Um, anything, a, a principle or a standard, it's probably because it didn't work. And they kept what did work. So folks, I say, as we look around and we examine the things that we have amongst us that make us who we are as a church, as an organization, let's look at the things that work and let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because we're in 2021. We need to keep to the old paths and keep to the old ways because our old folks had it right the first time that when you have the Spirit of God in your heart and you are sanctified by the Spirit of God and you go out and preach the gospel, it don't matter whether you're rich, young, old, poor, whatever, male, female, it don't matter. If you have a desire to serve God, the gospel of sanctification works. It works. And the standards of holiness still work. And the standards and lifestyle still works. So, 
It's also interesting in this passage, you can look in the 8th and 10th and 12th verses, that the work requires all kinds of people. It says in the 8th verse that the goldsmiths worked on the wall. Goldsmiths don't know anything about building a wall. Okay. It says the apothecaries helped build the gates and the walls. They don't know anything about that. If Brother Will, who talked about his engineering job this morning, came to me and asked me to assess some plans that he got, like he was describing, I would not be a lot of help. Okay? But when we're talking about spiritual things, it don't matter what your trade is. It don't matter what place in the body you have. Everybody is important to the work of God. And then it says, over in the 12th verse, it says that this man... um, Helohesh, the ruler of half the part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The women need to go to work too. And I'm thankful that in Christ's sanctified holy church, our women have been a part of the work of God from day one. And have been in the leadership since day one. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That's in the scriptures. And then it says in the 10th verse that one of these men was even over there building your house. He was building his house and it was a part of the wall. Well, folks, I want my house to be a part of the walls of the city of God because they help hold up the structure and they keep me apart. I'm vested. I'm vested when my house is a part of the structure because I don't want my house to be weak. I don't want the enemy coming out and blow out that part of the wall. That's part that affects my house. And so when the enemy comes in like a flood, I need the standard of the Lord to be lifted up in all areas because I'm equally vested just like you are in making sure that we're kept safe. Praise the Lord. Well, in the 13th verse, it says that the valley gate was repaired. Now, if you look at a map of Jerusalem and you see just the, the outline of the city, all of these gates I've talked to, talked to you about right now are at the top of the mount, as you preached about. But now we've gone a little ways down the mount, and we've come to the valley gate. You know, in our spiritual walk, it's such a beautiful thing when we get sanctified. The feeling, and I know you agree with me, those of you that are sanctified, the feeling is rapturous. When you get up from the altar and God fills you with his spirit, it's such a joy. You have a zeal for God. You have so many things that are just new in your eyes. Brother Chuck Simons used to say he walked outside and the sky was bluer and the grass was greener and all these things because that's what God does when he turns your life over, when he turns you around. But let me tell you something, a little bit of time, a few more days, and you're going to hit a valley. It's going to happen. You're going to reach a valley in your life where things are not on the mountaintop like you were when you started out. Life happens. The enemy comes in. Uh, Things, maybe it's not the enemy so much as it is yourself. James said that every man is drawn away, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. So you can be your own worst enemy sometimes if you allow the things that are naturally tempting to you to come in and entice you and draw you away. So folks, I want to encourage you tonight that even though there is a valley in your life, there are, maybe you're not going through one right now, but if you are, or if you're getting ready to, valleys are wonderful. They're not fun, but they're wonderful. Paul called them glorious. 
He said in James, I glory in my tribulations that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Why glory? And by glory, we're not saying, oh, I'm going through a valley. And you know, you're taking pride. That's not the definition of glory here. What he's saying is, I praise God for the valleys of my life because they teach me humility. They teach me to be submissive to the will of God. They teach me to be obedient to the commands of God. They teach me that I have a need of God. Oh my goodness, some people come to God and they serve God when they have absolute needs. And then the minute that... Well, I've got my education and I've got my career and I got my money and I got my spouse that I was worried I wasn't ever going to have and all these things that I needed God for. Now I've got them and all of a sudden I don't need God no more. Well, let me tell you something. A lot of men and women have done that. Some might be doing it right now. But you just hold on because trouble's going to find your way. And it'll chase you all the way back to the house of God. And that's what I love about the house of God. Because when we are meeting together faithfully, week after week, night after night, and we are preaching the same gospel, when folks finally come to themselves and they come back to the house of God, they can come in and hear the everlasting gospel, the same purity, the same light, the same truth, the same gospel that they heard when they left the first time, and when they come back, it's home, isn't it? It's home. And... I think of the old song, you won't leave the way you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, afflicted, sick or lame. I'd sing it to you, but I have no voice. Sick or lame, but the power of God is still the same. And you won't leave the way you came in Jesus' name. I love when I came to church when I was a 16-year-old boy and I had the devil ravaging through my life. But when God got a hold of me, I walked out of there not the same as when I came in. Praise God for that. So the valley gate, the valley gate, oh, it teaches us such humility. And humility is a good thing. God resisteth the proud. So what the Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Thank the Lord for that. And so then, you know, the valley gate has, the valleys of our life teaches us also what is not needed. Because the very next gate was called the dung gate. And this was at the lowest end of the valley where all the rubbish was cast out of the city. And valleys serve a purpose for all of us to teach us what is not needed in our life. When you're in trouble, when you are sick and afflicted and tormented and all of these things, you realize really quick what is extraneous in your life and what is most necessary in your life. Anybody have that experience this year? You realize what's really important. And so the Lord uses valleys of your life to say, it's time to shed this. It's time to lay this aside. It might be time to walk away from this person. The things that we have that are not edifying, edifying means to be beneficial and build up, and to give us growth, if, if it is not beneficial to my spiritual walk, then God has called for us to get, uh, to lay it aside. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them 
but dung that I might win Christ. What Paul is saying here is that with everything he had, this was a man who was exceptionally talented, gifted, and knowledgeable. My goodness, there were, I, don't, I don't know that there's been anybody else quite like the Apostle Paul. He had birthright. He was born into the right family to be a priest. He was educated by the most, you know, it's like going to an Ivy League school in today's time. He had wealth. He had political position. He had connections. He had a power and authority. This man had it all. And he said, all of that is but dung so that I may win Christ. He was willing to give all of that up so that he might have a relationship with Christ. And he says in this passage that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, everybody wants to know Christ, and we certainly want the power of his resurrection, but not a lot of folks are signing up for the fellowship of his sufferings. But guess what? It comes along with it. It's part of the package. And so when we sign up, when we say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll say what you want me to say, those are nice words, but when you hit the valley, do you really mean it? Did you really mean it? You're going to find yourself at a decision point. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Praise the Lord. So, the valley gate and the dung gate. The next gate is the gate of the fountain, verse 15, that was repaired and was built. All the things that were built therein. The gate of the fountain, we can liken to what Jesus said. Jesus told um, them in the seventh chapter, I wasn't going to read it, but I am now. In the seventh chapter of St. John, he said, uh, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what a fountain is. A fountain is something that comes out of the ground that has aquifers underneath that are pushing those, that water out of it. And let me tell you, when you get the Spirit of God in your heart, it will push out. Oh my goodness. When I say push out, I'm talking in your conversation. I'm talking in your lifestyle. I'm talking in your behavior. I'm talking in everything, your priorities, your, your choices. Everything about you will be pushed from the Spirit of God. It is the controlling force that helps direct our lives and allows us to live a life pleasing to God. And so when we get the Spirit of God, oh my goodness, the rivers of living water just flow and they flow so freely. Oh my goodness. So then the next gate that we come to is over here in the 26th verse towards the end of the chapter. Moreover, the Nethanims, those were a particular kind of priest. You can go read about that. They went over against the water gate towards the wall and the tower that lieth out. Well, I just talked about the fountain. He's not repeating himself here. No, he's not. Because the water gate is symbolic of the word. The word is water. Yes, Paul said to the Ephesians that he would sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 
He also said in the uh, 119th Psalm, um, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. His word is the everlasting constant in our life. When all else fails, when all else passes away, we have the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. This also is not a coincidence, but the water gate is where they would read the law. His law is his word, and his word is the water of life that nourishes us, that gives us strength and gives us um, what we need. So then, two verses down in the 28th verse, he says, from above the horse gate repaired the priests, everyone over against his house. Now, the horse gate was where when there was uh, a war to be fought, they would send the horses out through this gate to go and to fight against the opposing army. The horse gate is very important. And this is more as you're going back up the mountain. That's, That's also significant. Because as we begin to grow in grace... And we begin to grow in strength in the word and the fountain of life is running through us and we are living fully day by day what his spirit is able to do in our lives. There will come warfare. It is inevitable because the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What does it say? Whom resist steadfast in the faith. He said to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Over and over again throughout the New Testament, Paul and Peter and different ones tell us to be vigilant, to be uh, always looking around. Paul told the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may stand in the evil day. There is going to come an evil day in your life where the devil is going to throw everything he's got in your direction. It may not be your fault. You may not have caused it, but he's coming after you with everything he's got. How are you going to respond? And are you prepared for that day? I submit to you that we should be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Because why? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I'm not going to fight the devil with things that I've got in my life. My career ain't going to save me from the fiery darts of the wicked. My, my spouse and my children are not going to save me from the temptations that the enemy is going to throw in my path. Nope. That's not how it works because we are fighting a battle that cannot be seen with the natural eye. We are fighting a battle and a warfare that is in the spirit realm. And you can only win and be victorious through the word of God. You can only be victorious in that way. And so he tells us to make sure that we keep these things out of our life that will entangle us. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? So that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. We are not called to be people that sit on our laurels and just wait around for God to bless us. We are called to be soldiers who go out and fight in the war and in the army of God. And so after in the next verse, the 29th verse, he says at the end, then repaired Zadok, who was a priest. Um, You notice that the preachers and the ministers are involved a lot in the rebuilding of the wall. Okay, And he has told all of us that we will be priests and kings when we come into the city. So guess what? None of us are exempted from the work. None of us are exempted. So when you sit around and say, you know, I really don't know what God has me to do. Well, I submit to you, get in the word. Get in the word. When you fill yourself 
with the word of God and you get on your knees and you fill your life with prayer, God will send you out just like that aquifer when they hit that ground, that that stream that's running underground, that water springs up and they have to cap it off. It's so powerful. That's what will happen in your life if you don't know what to do for God. Trust me, there's plenty of work to do. It's not like God's sitting around going, I wonder who can help. He knows what you can do. And I submit to you, you might know what you can do too. Don't let fear stand in your way of the work of God. With God, you can do it. So he says in verse 29 that Zadok and after him Shemaiah, who was the keeper of the east gate. I love this, y'all. The keeper of the east gate. This gate is so important. It's so important because it is prophetic in scripture. Now we sing the songs, I'll meet you by the eastern gate. Well, that's what this is referring back to. The east gate of Jerusalem uh, was where they would, um, this was partly where they would, the armies would come in and out. They also says over here in the book of Ezekiel, in the 44th chapter, then he brought me back by the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, with look at, which looketh towards the east, and it was shut. And the Lord said unto me, this gate shall be shut, and it shall not be opened, and no man enter in by it, because the Lord God of Israel hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince. The prince... He shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Folks, when Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, he entered on the back of an ass that was there by prophecy. He knew that donkey was tied up where it was. He told the disciples, Sister Kelly, go find that animal. I have use for it. And when he came in and those people began to cry, Hosanna to the Lord, he was coming in through the eastern gate. It was only meant for the prince. Well, who is the prince? He's the son of the king. And who is the king but God Almighty? And so Jesus Christ opened that gate. And when he opened that gate, he made the way for all mankind to have access to this grace wherein we stand. And I say praise the Lord for that tonight. Well, folks, we've got access to all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you want salvation, God's got it for you. If you want more strength and you want a new renewing of the spirit in your life, God's got it. God's got it. You ask him and he giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let me tell you, the last gate is the best gate. Because the gate in verse 31 is called in the Jewish language, the gate Mifkad, which also means, y'all ready? I love this. This is called the gate of review. review. One day, folks, yeah. we're going to walk in that gate. Right. This is where David would stand when the armies of the of the Jews would come home from war and they would pass by him and he would review the troops as they entered back in the city. Let me tell you something. When the saints march in review in front of God Almighty, don't you want to be in that number? Don't you want to be marching along with the saints 
as we head to Zion, as we head to the New Jerusalem. This is a picture, folks, of the plan of salvation, a picture of the life of the church, a picture of the life of the saint. And folks, you can be a part of that. You can be a part of that. I know everybody in here wants to make it to heaven and you can do it. But guess what? As soon as you pass the gate of Mifkad, the very next one is right back where you started. Right. At the gate of the sheep. It all goes back to Jesus Christ. If you want to make it, you're going to have to contend with Jesus Christ. And so I submit to you all, Let's make our calling and election sure before God. If you don't know where you stand, you can know. If you are perhaps had that scripture over there where it says a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of the hands to sleep. And perhaps you've gotten lazy in your salvation and you've not joined the work of God lately. Let me tell you, you can wake up. You can wake up and get out of your chair and join the saints in the work of God. So as we sing a song of invitation, if you need God, come seek him. If you want a renewal, come seek him. Because this is where you will find him if we pray. Let's all stand.